Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 17 of Drop the Needle in the Haystack, a podcast where we use the Forgotify website to take a listen to tracks on Spotify that have never been played before, and then we talk about them. And my name's Robbie. I'm one of your hosts. I also have two other hosts. And I like to vary the intro a little bit in how I introduce everyone. First up, we have Eric. Say hello, Eric. Hello. Now, you might not be impressed right off the bat with what Eric's bringing to the table, but let me tell you, he grows over time. Our second host <laughs> is called Matthew, the bad boy. Yeah, Matthew, if I'm in trouble. So I guess that's the connection Robbie's trying to make there. Hi, everyone. Happy New Year. You Such said that last is. time. Yeah. Is that what I said? Yeah, you don't get to say Happy New Year twice, Matt. Crap. Uh, cut it. Cut it. Robbie, you got it. You got to edit this one out. That's embarrassing. It's like wearing the same thing as someone else to a party. Uh, Hello, everyone. That's why we call you the bad boy. You're always doing things you shouldn't do. (laughs) Say Happy New Year in the middle of August. It's not the middle of August. (laughs) Well, you would. That's something the bad boy would do. Well, this is when this this episode is airing, Matt. Middle of August. Wow, our production got really bad. (laughs) Do you think by August we'll be at episode 69? Probably not, right? No, there's only 52 weeks in a year. well in august we'll be at episode 17 this is the last episode we recorded before the accident <laughs> oh no the accident what? that you know is coming right <laughs> our planned accident it's like uh do you guys watch the community did you watch that show yes i didn't watch community uh do you remember that it's like the famous gift now where uh yeah he comes in and like he's got the pizza right and, like, and everything's on so- fire someone's on fire Someone's been shot. Uh, Graham is having a heart attack. Right. <laughs> the accident. Whenever I think of the accident, I, I tend to think of that one. But that does that's sound... Funny. It was an accident. Eric, watch Community. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good right. show. You'd like it. Only watch up to uh, right. season three, though. Like, stop after season three. Isn't there a lot more than three seasons? There is, but that's when, like, all the... There are all the writing issues because, like... Um, I think there was a big problem with... Is that when the strike happened? Yeah, I think there was a writing strike and also like a lot of issues between the actors, from what I understand. It's a contentious Crap. history. What's his name? He Chevy Chase. Yes, Chevy Chase. Thank you. Chevy Chase had a lot of issues with the other cast, or rather, the other cast members had a lot of issues with Chevy Chase because he's I've heard he's a difficult man to get along with. Yeah, difficult to work with. I think it was especially Donald Glover really hated working with him. Mm. Okay, he like he like talked about it later in like an article or an interview or something. Interesting. But anyway, why don't we take a look at the music now that I've completely botched my introduction and we got onto our first tangent of the day? Uh, right, excellent, good, nice recovery. Well, I have the first track this week. So the artist I found is called Solex. The album is called The B Side talk to you a little bit about Solex. It's one of the rare artists that we encounter on Forgotify where he's got a Spotify biography. He's got Twitter accounts and Instagram linked to it. So he, thank you, Solex, for being so easy to research because sometimes it's difficult. The, his real name is Solomon and he, it says here, kind of cruising his bile, he grew up in Connecticut. He was kind of uh, really influenced by gospel music, especially uh, growing up. Other influence he cites are Earth, Wind, and Fire and George Duke. Uh, And it says at the end, sort of his artistic statement, to create music that masterfully incorporates harmonies, speaks of various genres of life, cleverly chosen instrumentation, and beautifully harnessed chord progressions to move his audience like he was first hearing his his idols. So yeah, and he, like I said, he's got a bunch of social media. Let me pull up his, yeah, his Twitter real quick. 
His real name is Solomon Edmund. And on Twitter, he's at Solex LLC. That's all uppercase. And it looks like he has a website, solexmusic.com. S-O-L-E-X music.com. Uh, this track is called Crazy For You. So let's take a listen. In, can't understand how this can be real. My friends say I'm crazy. Crazy. Crazy for you, girl. But I say they're crazy. Cause they don't know you, baby. My friends say I'm crazy. Crazy. Crazy for you, Yeah, <clears throat> we've kind of got an R&B track. You know, I was thinking it, this is actually uh, either it was either last episode or two uh, recently we talked about melisma and the idea of melisma, and this is a, another good example. And it's something you see a lot. It's actually kind of a hallmark of the R&B style of singing: lots of notes on syllables, this kind of riffing. And yeah, I think you can certainly hear. Uh, those influence he mentions. George Duke, especially, is a, is a keyboardist I really like. Uh, he He's probably most famous for playing with Frank Zappa, but he was a really big kind of funk keyboard guy. Uh, and yeah, I find this one really compelling. It's another one of those really well-produced and well-arranged tracks that is always such a joy to kind of stumble across. Really interesting use, I think, of the, the talk box effect. It's either a talk box or something that's kind of just like it. And I think it's also interesting what, what strikes me is sort of the the use of like the back and forth between the solo voice and sort of this choir effect. It's it's probably not really a choir, but sort of a, a chorus effect on that backup vocal, which, you know, sounds to my ears a lot like how it's used in gospel music, right? You've got the lead singer and you've got the choir kind of backing you up with with the hits, almost like horn lines. So what do you guys think? Yeah, What's your yeah. That's the part that really stood out to me was that that back choir, really really nice um, call and response, and something about the timbre of the of the way the choir is produced, and the like pseudo electric, you know, higher tessitura, um, just vocal line, is really ear catching. I don't know, in, in the best possible way. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, actually, that brought up a lot of really nice comparisons and like parallels uh, that makes me appreciate it a lot more because I, I was a huge fan of once that back and forth dialogue between the you know, the call and response started happening because I don't know if you saw me like raise my eyebrow a little bit when we initially listened to the introduction the um, something about like the arranging of the instruments didn't really hit me right away but like yeah this this excerpt that we listened to especially some of those like chord choices and like the voicings when it when it kind of full fills out a little bit more yeah when he's singing by himself it's a little bit more sparse the the instrumentation or the arranging maybe right and like the chordal information like with these little rhythmic uh hits to just kind of give you the chords every now and then but once it gets a little bit more full and yeah you get like that cool talk box i'm glad you mentioned that because i couldn't quite figure out what that was uh, initially um, right, and the talk box, just to sort of give a quick rundown if you're you're not familiar. So it's sort of that electro voice effect. It's probably most the most famous example is like California Love, the introduction. It's that robot voice, essentially. It's the robot voice. Uh, and there's a few other ways people do that now, but 
that's one of the more common ones, and I, I think that might be what this is. So essentially, they, it's a plug-in. You can use it for a guitar or for a synthesizer or any electronic instrument, and you're, you, it allows you to shape the, the tone with your voice, and you can put words into it. So you're not actually saying anything, really. You're not making any noise with your voice. You're kind of putting a tube in, or there's actually a new version that you can... I think it's called the Electro Spit, where you can put it around your neck, and it reads your, your vocal cords, so you don't even need... Yeah, it was like fucking oh, cyber, cyber future we're living in now. So, But essentially, you, you mold the tone with your voice, and it lets you sort of play on the keyboard or guitar and sort of say or say the words. Um, and it, it's used a lot in funk music. It's used, well, probably most famously in Zap, which is sort of the big electronic funk influence. Uh, but lots in hip-hop, lots in R&B. I'm sorry, I was just laughing because I was thinking of all the Cyberpunk 2077 memes. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> Where's, yeah, where can I get the talk box implant? But, uh, <laughs> now, this might be my, my own um, ignorance showing through, but is there a difference between a talk box and a vocoder? Or is it just terminology? That, I think... I think a vocoder... It's a, I, well, I'm also far from an expert, but a talk box usually refers specifically to like the pickup or some bit of hardware okay. that you connect your, your, your microphone to. It, oftentimes it does get like the same effect, right? Because the vocoder often is the same sort of thing. But I think there is some distinction that I'm too dumb to explain or understand. Because when I think I've seen vocoders, like seen them used, I think it's just a little microphone that doesn't go in the mouth. But I've seen what you're talking about too. And I wonder how much the mechanics differ between the two. Because when I first heard this, I was like, oh, cool, some, like, auto-tune stuff. But you're right. There's multiple voices going on, like, stacks of chords. So it's yeah. definitely a talk box or a vocoder. Of course, the um, other two maybe more mainstream examples of famous use of vocoder would be uh, Mr. Blue Sky by the Electric Light Orchestra. Right. Or uh, what was that song? Hide and Seek by Imogen Heap, I think. Like, the I'm entirety of that it. song I is, know, uh, I that is vocoder. Uh, <laughs> that song, it's... It's the meme. It's the, mm, what you say? Oh, oh really? Okay. Yeah, the, you should have said the meme. The meme yeah. where they, they shoot each other, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Andy dear Samberg. Sister. Yeah, yeah, dear sister. Um, <laughs> but That's funny. The, uh, this song raised another, another question for me. Robbie, you might be able to catch this better than me, and I'm going to put your ears on the spot here. But whatever happens right at, I think, maybe this phrase right here, this timestamp, I really like it. So it's the not the first couple of chords, the one that they land on, and it comes, becomes a little more spacious. Just take a listen to it. Ready? looking in Can't understand How this can be real This one here? Yeah. yeah. That's... that's uh... What is that? It's like mode mode switch, right? A mode mixture to like a major chord instead of what should have been like a minor seven chord or something. Right. I think it's you know I I, I think it is mode mixture. I, I I'm one, I want to say it might be like some sort of flatted sixth chord, major seventh chord because they do this a lot in kind of the R and B songwriting. These complicated chords that seem to really go for like a, a left turn, a hard. Turn it was just such a nice moment of, of brightness, you know, like that chord sounds so bright and it, it was just so such a nice surprise. And even the way that it arpeggiates up and he takes time on the word real there, mm. it, it like so, so nice, so refreshing. You know, weird comparison, but you know what this really reminds me of? 
Bill Wirtz. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of see, see it. Yeah, like the chord voicings or something about it. Like Bill Wirtz's harmonies, it, it's always like these little left, like, if you ever really listen to his songs and not just the meme videos, like these nice little chords that come out of left field and like they're, they're a nice surprise. They re resolve in ways you don't expect. And I, yeah, I think a lot of sort of these, well, where you get a lot of those nice sounds, at least in R&B, I know what you mean, especially with Bill Wirtz, it's like, Sometimes it's like, whoa, where where are we going? Where does that come from? But it, it's it's usually like they they turn the melody note into an extension uh, of some chord. So yeah. it's like what would be if you're just singing regularly, that might be the root note or the third. Now we're gonna pick a chord where this is the ninth now, or this is the oh. something like that. And that's sort of I don't know if that's exactly what this is, but that's sort of what it reminds me of. Yeah, yeah, I, I could see that. Uh... I, that's like such a fun technique and I always forget about it. Um, but one of the teachers at Peabody that I, or not at Peabody anymore, Omar Thomas, where, where is he now, Eric? Um, oh, did he leave? He went somewhere in Texas. I think UT Austin, maybe. Oh yeah. Then he went to UT Austin. That's right. Yeah. But he taught a great class um, called, and he, he himself would probably want me to say, he doesn't like the title of this, but this is what he calls it. It's a jazz harmonization for the classical musician. <laughs> Nice. And I just remember the lecture where he talks about like he he talked about chord color and mm -hmm. what if this chord, what if this pitch is uh, the fifth? What you just said. What if it's the seventh? What if it's the nine? What if it's the flat nine? What if it's the, and like how you have to completely rearrange the chord even if it's the nine versus the flat nine. You know. Right. And just watching like all these violinists and like pianists' heads explode when like he does because he just did it like back to back to back to back to back to back to back. Like super fast, like ba 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 ba. Right, right. It was another one of those moments where you're just like, I am not on the same level that you are. Right. Who's this yeah. space alien that's trying to communicate with me? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be able to follow. Yeah. Super cool class though. So, if uh, Dr. Thomas, if you're listening, still think about that class sometimes. Yeah. No, it's it's a cool track. Just getting back to it for a second. I um I like that you brought up the beginning, Matt a little while ago it does not belie what is to come right it is like um it's very sparse opening and then it blooms into something really really nice anyway unfortunately you move on? it's like or... if you didn't give it enough time you'd probably be tempted to skip or like not listen yep. to the whole thing right so yeah that's a really good point once you really get like the 40 second mark the song shows you what it's what it's all about but yeah um should we move on to the next the next one sure yeah so this one is uh, my selection, and I initially wasn't really sure uh, how much I wanted to bring this to the podcast. So just a little uh, a bit about it. This is called Butterfly Woman, and it's by Ben Tavera King from his album. I want to get the wording right exactly here. Santa Fe Healings, Native Flute and Guitar for Yoga and Massage. And it's uh, Ben Tavera King and the Native Flute Ensemble. So I don't know much about native music, in this case, um, referring to indigenous peoples of, of either North or South America. And uh, just a little bit about Ben Tavera King, or Tavera King, probably. He was born in 1952, and he's a Latin American musician, songwriter, recording artist, and performer, primarily in the United States. And it says here, he has recorded various genres from Tex-Mex to New Age and is proficient on numerous stringed instruments, in including the guitar, the lute, and the vihuela, which I do not know what that is. And he uh, appeared, you know, in the 80s and 90s on public radio, 
mostly on his own releases. And he even got a successful album in the 90s that peaked at number five on the Billboard World Music Albums chart. So that's kind of cool. But uh, yeah, let's like listen to a little bit of the track here. I think I wanted to skip to the middle of it somewhere and then talk a little bit about it after. So musically, um, there isn't really a lot going on with this track, but I kind of think that's the point, given that, you know, it's literally says it's music that you're meant to kind of do yoga or like, you know, have a massage while you're listening to it. And just kind of made me think, like coming across this music on Forgotify, of course, the whole point of Forgotify is it's music that hasn't been played, at least on Spotify, right? But, um, you know, if you break down the music and what's going on here, at least in this excerpt, there's not a whole lot going on. There's a guitar that's kind of strumming, sounds like just one chord. Uh, the, the flute instrument that's being played as the solo line. And then kind of like a, it sounds like an ambient synth pad. Did you hear that, Robbie? Just kind of like... Yeah, some kind of droning. Yeah, something in the background. I think someone was just going to town on like a suspended cymbal. Like right, well, just for, as the spirit moves, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Yeah, so it's it's like pretty sparse musically, just kind of, let's say, an accompaniment, a drone-like accompaniment with a solo instrument. And it just kind of got me thinking, like, this is meant to be background music. I think one of you earlier uh, called it functional music. And then you think about music that you listen to in public spaces that you're like, you know, you're not really supposed to be listening to it, right? It's It's just there to, like, fill the space. Think, like elevator music or music that you hear at like the dentist's or the doctor's office if it's not just turned onto the radio you know um i don't know do you guys have other i'm trying to think of other like airport music though airport music's a little better yeah but it's also functional music in the sense that i think it's supposed to keep people calm Uh, yeah it's supposed to probably be soothing music i don't i mean i couldn't imagine a functional music that's supposed to piss you off that'd be pretty funny though just like battle music, maybe getting ready to charge. Well, yeah, that's like that's the original functional music, right? Like the march, like military music to keep people in line and you know regimented and together. And at other times, boost morale. That's why you have different like probably horn calls or, or stuff like that. Maybe it's it's an interesting um, discussion, though, Matt. And how how is it achieving this kind of functional? usage right like so the death of classical music or like the death of a piece of classical music if we're not talking about minimalism is repetition right what's like the golden rule of classical music like you're never supposed to repeat the same idea or phrase three times in a row and obviously that gets broken all the time in various things but like that's the that's the soft rule like that as soon as the music becomes predictable it becomes boring. You start to tune it out just naturally. If, as soon as your mind can fill in the blank, it just stops paying attention because why would it? And so this piece, you know, we have the same chord being strummed in this incessant like kind of guitar backing pattern 
we have kind of some ambiguous flute notes happening where it's not really being played in any discernible melody, like truly discernible melody. We have like the the symbol, the hanging symbol, right? So it's just all this kind of noise that's just on repeat and that your brain can just tune out, right? Is there any other part of this that I'm, I'm not thinking of? What, what did we say at the beginning? Oh yeah, there was the synth pad. Synth pad, yeah. But I mean, that's the, I think, isn't that the point then, right? Is yeah, that's the entire point. Like, that's how they're you're achieving supposed, it, right? You're supposed to tune out and then, like, occasionally become aware again of, like, oh, yes, there's music happening. You're not supposed to be aware of it. And that's just such an interesting, that's like, you know, the, the picture you're not supposed to look at, right? It, it's like one of right. those. I now, as, you know, a composer, that's my worst nightmare, people not listening to my music, right? Right. That's my reality and my worst nightmare. People not listening to my music. <laughs> and then Oof. when they do listen to my music, I'm like, wait, no, but not that music. But anyway, um, <laughs> if I were writing music like this, like what if I was tasked with, hey, can you write some music that we can play in like our massage salon so that like people just like zone out and relax? Then I'm, I would be like, well, what what do I even what do I even do there like you know and I, I feel like this is you know a very different approach to composing or songwriting where I feel like parts of this are probably a little more improvised right probably yeah I would guess I would imagine yeah. so but even then the improvisers have to be very conscientious of the fact that they're trying not to draw attention to themselves they're trying not to do anything like exciting or or like crazy and, and I mean Robbie you're an improviser right yeah well I I, and I guess that does beg sort of an interesting question about improvising, you know, certainly in a jazz setting, it's different than this. But I, I think the idea of like, you really have to be kind of aware of, of, of the group you're in and like the people you're playing with and what you're, you know, what you're trying to do, like you said, what you're trying to do. And, and you know, you say it's music, not really for listening. And I feel like, that's a lot of the gigs we get as jazz musicians is sort of like, okay, we're going to have a cocktail hour and we're a really rich company. So this is a thing people do. So you stay over there and this is a status symbol. Do whatever. Don't be too loud, which is maybe a little cynical. Uh, and don't get me wrong. I'll take the money and I like to play it. But it, I would be kidding myself if I thought people were really tuning in very hard to what you know we were playing. Uh, and I don't necessarily want to compare that to maybe this i i am i don't know one part about this it seems to be sort of tied up in these uh indigenous sort of uh indigenous people's music and and customs i know well i say i know but i have heard that or at least i'm aware of the idea of people in various cultures using music in terms of like spiritual rituals and i don't want to say that that's what this is because this is some fucking track we found on spotify and it may just be ben king making a buck slapping some a label on shit but uh and if that's the case then what the hell ever but if it is like <laughs> this is you know this is a real culture's of religious practice i want to be very careful about kind of what i would sure, say about yeah. it and also the yeah it's a little bit culturally i don't want to say strange but we've got music of indigenous peoples or supposed music in the style of, of music of indigenous peoples, who knows, being employed for the use of yoga and and massage parlor. Right, so there's that's a little what... bit of strangeness there. That proximity, right? 
Yeah, that's what kind of yeah. makes me think it's like, this is just, we're doing like, what the fuck ever. It, we want to put on some nice open chords so people can be rubbed down, and we're going to put whatever on it. But <laughs> but I just felt it, you know, it's worth pointing out. Well, that was like when we talked, do you remember way back when I brought in that, that, that woman who wrote that post 9-11, like, American oh, right. <laughs> hymn? And then yeah, that was like episode, what, four or five? We, like, looked at her discography, and she's been, like, pumping these things out, like, you know, you, I think one of us made the joke that she's just like milking the Mormon market, like to to write these like pseudo American Christian hymns that are that are like appealing to a very specific sector sector of sector of people. Right. Yeah. No, I, there, I think you're was, right. I think that's probably what this is. There was one thing you mentioned, Robbie, that that I kind of did want to touch on again. You mentioned like you know being a functional musician of, of a cocktail hour, and that's that's a really nice comparison too, because you don't wouldn't you get in trouble if you just started like going off on some crazy like like hey can you guys like calm this shit down right yeah you don't want to be yeah that's the thing you don't want to play too out it's like listen we just want some nice music so we can have our drinks play Sinatra which is was fine a, yeah was that a scene from La La Land I think. I think so. That I never saw it, but yeah. I do remember reading he's in about the, it. He's in the bar, and he keeps getting yelled at because he uh, starts going too ham. Ryan yeah. Gosling starts. Uh, his his like air pianoing wasn't bad in that movie. Actually, it was pretty. The editing helped a yeah. lot. The yeah, well, the editing and the ghost pianist that would come in and do the close up shots. Spooky. Yeah. Yeah, the hand double. But like you know, his big arm motions weren't like completely off. He wasn't in like the wrong section of like the keyboard right you know? right no he committed he committed yeah. to the the appearance but no yeah but i think in modern day how often do we really get to perform something for a truly captive audience i mean it, it is relatively rare if you're not playing in a symphony orchestra and you're basically any other musician like what kind of shows are you normally doing you're doing like cocktail parties you're playing at bars you're playing at fairs you're playing at social gatherings where you're expected to play but you're not going to get absolute silence you know people are going to be talking they're going to be chatting maybe tuning in for a song or two and then going back to doing whatever they're doing they're going to be on their phones you know it's just kind of just kind of the world now and then like to yeah on, on that i mean people used to be drinking and chatting and like doing whatever at the opera that was a thing yeah operas weren't watched in complete silence people would be, yeah like you know having a good time not sitting there probably bored out of their minds in another world could you imagine you go to a yoga studio and they've got the native ben they've got ben tavera there in person with the native flute ensemble like right that wouldn't right. happen right that would be distracting no. yeah <laughs> <laughs> just in the massage room with you yeah do do don't look at me do 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 Ice down, do do. <laughs> Don't mind them; yeah. they're just gonna be here to set the mood. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that's all I've really got to say about uh, Butterfly Woman and Ben Tavra King. So, uh, you want to take a look at the the next the next song now? Yeah, let's take a look at the last track. Um, so, the last track has some pretty interesting lore. Um, we're gonna listen to "Hard Time Killing Floor" by Alice Stewart on the album can't find wait what is the last word there that sorry can't find no heaven can't find no heaven that's right all right um why don't we listen to it first and then 
I'll talk a little bit about Alice. So here's a little bit of background. Alice Stewart was born in 1942 in Washington in the U.S. She's an American blues and folk singer-songwriter and guitarist. Um, she toured the U.K. with Van Morrison and uh, throughout the United States with Mississippi John Hurt, if you're familiar with any of those names. So at the age of 22, Stewart played the Berkeley Folk Festival in 1964. Uh, she was then invited by creator-producer Barry Oliver to perform in 1966 uh, and 1970. It was there that she formed a friendship with Mississippi John Hurt. I think the most interesting part of her story, uh, she's been in the, in the field basically her entire life, but the most interesting part of the story for me was this. In 1964, she met with musician Frank Zappa at a, a coffee house in Santa Monica, California. By chance, as they both were waiting to meet the same person, guitarist Steve Mann, Alice became a member of Zappa's band, the Mothers of Invention, which at the time was mostly a blues band. Zappa wanted to incorporate Stewart's acoustic Delta style with his electric leads. However, she lasted only a few months with the group and left before they made their debut album, Freak Out. Alice did not make any recordings with the group. Zappa later said he fired Alice from the band because she could not play Louie Louie. Although his highly sarcastic sense of humor leaves no doubt that this was intended to be a joke. So I thought that was a fun little bit of trivia. Uh, and then there was a little bit of trivia about the song itself. So Hard Time Killing Floor is a blues song written by Skip James in 1931. And I believe Skip James was an African-American blues singer-songwriter. Um, so this is her version of it. The lyrics don't really line up except for the chorus a little bit. And that seems to be, I think that's like a relatively common thing in the blues genre to, to change a song um, and basically make your own, own version of it. But if I'm, if I'm wrong about that, feel free to correct me if you know Robbie or Matt. I'm not sure. Yeah, okay. Well, the, um, the lyrics here are significantly different. Just listening to her, you know, she's obviously got a nice voice. She she got good reviews when she hit the scene. This is her later in life. I think this is 2002. She's in I mean, her mid-60s at this point. Yeah, if she toured with Van Morrison and, like, played with Zappa, she's probably in her 60s in the 2000s. Yeah. Yeah, so she's in her 60s there. And, you know, there's just so much that goes into blues music. Robbie and I were talking about this right before the show. There's so much you have to keep track of right when you're it's not just strumming and playing you know and to hear someone do it and sound so kind of effortless is just always really awesome to hear what do you guys think of the track yeah i think that that was sort of you know one of the biggest takeaways i always have when listening to especially this kind of delta blues style uh is all the different parts essentially right it's there's the bass line there's the fills there's the chords. It's like three separate kind of musical elements, and then you're you're singing on top of it too. So 
it's like juggling almost in many ways and i i think you know and i'm not really or i'm very far from an expert on, on sort of this classic blues or, or, or delta blues but that seems to be one of the hallmarks of a really great blues guitarist is how they manage all these different parts and sort of the expressiveness they're able to get out of individual notes and in, in melodic lines that's really cool i actually would never have thought of it broken down that way but because i was immediately more impressed by the the finger picking sections i think mm. i think that was finger picking if i had to yeah. guess from the pattern but i never really considered breaking down the like the anatomy of a blues guitar strum because my ignorant ass would think like that's incredibly simple sounding but you're right there's like a lot there's a lot going on there yeah the i like how you call it the anatomy i think the anatomy of it something like yeah something like that there's like a yeah there's a baseline they've got to manage getting those fills in there because i don't know i'm just like oh it's a classic blues rhythm you know like that dun that dun that dun the chugging kind of thing right which is it's deceivingly simple i think that's what it is right yeah because especially when you hear you know like a really great artist or really a talented person like alice stewart do it it sounds you know that's always easy it sounds easy yeah. yeah yeah just like eric mentioned it, it, and her singing it also sounds really easy and effortless and it's again it's like oh wow she's doing both and managing both well at the same time and making both sound really easy and there's still also that element of kind of like spontaneous probably with little improvisation in there too which you know she's really uh completely incorporated and mastered this this craft right sounds like something she's been doing her whole life I'm trying to remember what exactly the the finger picking sections reminded me of because you know it's probably just you know really great recording quality too but it sounds so clean it sounds so good I, I love I love the way that those little descending finger picking section lines sounded you know maybe it's just like maybe it's just like the way it sounds like the style of the time right like maybe not specifically with this song but like dylan immediately comes to mind mm, in yeah. terms of the guitar sound maybe not obviously not the vocals but um the guitar sound and, and the way no no it, it sounds very similar i think it's the the timbre maybe like in the tone production like you can almost hear the spring to each string that like gets plucked it's i don't know it's just really satisfying and like visceral sound i, I like it a lot yeah. yeah, and I think we've talked even a little bit before about when you're recording like solo string instruments or real up close to open strings, you you often get like, or kind of the goal with the recording quality is this very crispness and this like sort of really letting hearing all the vibrations. Like I think it was the dulcimer we heard one time, where it's got that thing where it's like a lot of lot of room for the sound to vibrate. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, none of us are blues experts, but I thought this was a cool, cool track and, and definitely worth a listen from, I'm sure, someone none of us previously knew about. It does make me think about other, like, instances of, you hear, sometimes you hear these stories of, like, famous musicians who were working together, but then didn't, like, or they were fired or, like, they had a falling out. I think about, it's like, Dizzy Gillespie was in Cab Calloway's band and he was fired things like that was he really that's he was, crazy yeah, yeah. That i think funny. it's funny that she toured with brown eyed girl van morrison and then like hung out with frank zappa <laughs> right yeah zappa's just like a big weirdo he's yeah, just yeah. <laughs> fucking 
He's always showing up places you don't want him to be or expect him to be. All right, so I think we're moving on to what we listened to this week. Is that right? I'll go first. So uh, we mentioned before, and I felt this was appropriate since I listened to it not too long ago, George Duke, one of the influences that uh, Solex listed, and then uh, um, kind of connecting both of those artists, he played in Frank Zappa's band, The Mothers of Invention. He was the keyboardist for a long, long time, among other things. One of his solo albums, Faces in Reflection, I listened to uh, just recently. And a really great album. A very versatile musician, right? You kind of have to be to play in, in Frank Zappa's group, but he's had a very long career, and even the records he's put out by himself, you know, they cover a wide musical swath, and I, I liked this one. Faces in Reflection. Okay, cool. My answer's yeah, what kind did you of, listen to? My answer's kind of cheating, but um, I've been... I just... Uh, got myself the game. Uh, it's called Ni no Kuni. Mm. It's a role-playing game, uh, and it's like a kind of you know a pretty what's the word conventional role-playing game. But the soundtrack is by Joe Hisaishi, the composer for the Miyazaki movies. Oh. So it's a fantastic soundtrack, of course, because I mean that's some of the best music in the world, in my opinion. But yeah, it's been really like cool. Because it's like I'm playing a Miyazaki movie as a game. So, nice. yeah, awesome soundtrack, awesome game. I highly recommend it to anyone. I can't wait to play it more. Oh, that does sound cool. And I've been listening to, well, I listened a bit to Shostakovich 9 this week. Great Symphony, a lot of clarinet stuff. And I yeah. listened to uh, the Mozart clarinet quintet. Always always find myself every, every few weeks coming back to that piece. Shostakovich yeah. 9, the, uh, the site of my greatest defeat. <laughs> Poor guy. I think we've we've told that story we've, on the podcast I think we've before, talked right? about it. Yeah. So anyone yeah. who who is a devout follower of our show will will know my embarrassment at the hands of Eric and Shostakovich Nine. Yeah. Yeah. Bravo. It was on Steve's podcast when Steve joined us. Yeah. Because oh, he got it man. right. Brutal. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think that's uh, that's all we have for everyone today. Uh, Robbie, you wanna you wanna outro us? Play us yeah. out, Robbie. So thanks for listening. Uh, if you could like and subscribe and rate and review wherever you're listening to your podcast, either on Spotify or on, on Apple and iTunes or wherever. You can also follow us on our socials. We're at Drop Haystack on Twitter and Drop the Needle in the Haystack on Instagram and Facebook. So follow us there. And Eric, do you want to give that famous outro? As always, everyone, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. Do-do-do-do-do-do. Hooray! <laughs>